Hey, 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 we are live. Welcome everybody to another episode of Just Two Dads. I'm your co-host, Brian Altunian. And I am Sean Francis. Awesome. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about raising children with special needs and the impact that it has on marriage. So today on Just Two Dads. I love the intro now. It's awesome. Sean. Yes, sir. This is an interesting, it's an interesting topic for us to talk about as we are. Uh, we, when we do uh, just for folks who are watching or listening, first of all, thank you. If you're, if you're tuning in, we're so appreciative to have you. Um, hey, Joe, <laughs> I love it. When, when our regulars pop in and, and say hello, uh, if you're catching us up on, um, on Facebook or on our YouTube channel, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and let us know um, if there's any topics you think that you'd like to have us cover. Um, we're happy to have an open conversation about anything that would impact you and your family. We're also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and uh, Spotify, Pandora, anywhere where iHeartRadio, anywhere where you can hear podcasts, you can catch us at Just Two Dads and also down in the U.S. Virgin Islands on WSTXAM Radio. Uh, we're welcoming our, our families, our, our listening and viewing uh, community. So thank you for joining us. Sean and I have been doing this every um, now every week for almost, it'll be almost a year. I think we're on episode number 43, maybe 44. Actually, I don't even mm -hmm. know what number episode we're at right now. Um, and it, it's been an incredible journey. We've learned a lot along the way. Um, today's episode, I was starting to say in our, in our normal, in our normal career of sitting down with families and talking about, um, finances and helping folks determine their, their, their path, their road to financial independence. We don't really like to do appointments where there's only one spouse because in fact, we call those one legged appointments because oftentimes we'll have a conversation and, and the spouse says, yeah, I got this. And then they go away and they have a conversation with, the, with their spouse and they come back and go, yeah, everything that we talked about, yeah, we need to change it all around. And yet today we're going to talk about marriage and we're kind of like two uh, one legged uh, <laughs> conversations here because it's just us. It's not our, it's not our wives, but that's what this is all about, right? Just two dads and how um, men come to this conversation around uh, those issues that surround families dealing with special needs um, family members. And, um, you know, we, we're very real and straight and authentic. And I think that um, we're not afraid to be vulnerable and have discussions like this. And I think it's important to continue the, to continue the broader conversation because not only does uh, do the things that we talk about uh, impact the families who are dealing with special needs family members, but we find that these conversations transcend and impact um, impact uh, families who are dealing with a variety of, of situations and circumstances in, in their family, uh, no, matter what, no matter what they're dealing with. So today's another one of these conversations and Sean and I come to this conversation um, with completely different perspectives and experiences, which I think we all do. And I think that this is going to be a, an interesting conversation. So how does raising a child with special needs have an impact on your marriage um, and your relationships? So Sean, do you want to <laughs> say, I'm going to say hello to you. Welcome you today. Uh, you've had, I knew you, you've been dealing with some, with some stuff uh, in you, in your family and some stuff personally. And so you're going to yeah. particularly <laughs> vulnerable state, vulnerable state right now. So this is good, good conversation for us to have. So I'm going to yeah. welcome you to the show and then let you jump in and, and start this conversation. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. because I, I think that um, um, we're guided by what's, um, 
what's best, so to speak. Um, here's what I mean by that. Brian mentioned there's some challenges I've been going through personally, like anybody in any other family out there with, with COVID adjusting to what life means after it. And, you know, we often say that there is no such thing as special needs. Everyone has the same need. Everyone has a need to be heard, a need to be seen, a need to be counted, a need to um, be recognized and loved. It's just that when there's a diagnosis of a disability of some kind, intellectual or the cause of a catastrophic accident, whatever the case might be, those needs then multiply for the person with the diagnosis and for the person who's caring for that individual with the diagnosis. So then when you think, think about a marriage, you know, your bond is tested uh, 10 times more so when there is a diagnosis that comes into play. And the thing that I find so fascinating about this format and the things that we talk about is that each topic is an onion that has so many, you know, an immeasurable amount of uh, uh, layers to it. For instance, today, we're going to talk about how for each of us, raising a child with special needs has affected our our individual uh, marriages. But that same topic can be said for the perspective of someone else being, uh, being a female. Um, you know, uh, so e each perspective is is different. So we're not here to talk about statistics on a whole, um, although we know that the statistics are very high uh, for marriages that don't survive um, when there is a uh, a child that is diagnosed with special needs. And so, as we talk about those things, um, all we can speak to is our own uh, experience. So, um, yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. I mean, you know, the the thing about this these conversations is that we've never, uh, we've never hidden. I think we're pretty transparent. You know, we don't shy away from, you know, from those things that are, that are very, that are very personal. Uh, again, I think it's, I, I think it speaks to our commitment to furthering this conversation and, um, making a difference in people's lives. So just to be very straight, I have been, um, married and divorced, uh, now twice. Um, my oldest daughter, Joe, who is, a, a who was our, our guest last week, as a matter of fact, uh, um, had some special needs issues and learning disabilities at growing up. And it had, a, you know, it, 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 it's, it's interesting because it did put pressure on the, on my, on my first marriage, but it did bring up situations that come up in marriage, right? How you communicate with your spouse, how you handle adversity how you, you know, how you, how you handle a variety of things that, that come at you. And I think if you, you know, if you don't have alignment, it doesn't really matter what the external source is, is it's going to put pressure on, on your relationship. And so right. um, my first marriage, um, uh, Jordan has a, has a younger sister. So who's neurotypical. So we had two children in our first marriage and then I remarried and so then it was a whole different set of circumstances because now Jordan had a stepmother and then a, a stepmother stepping into, you know, that conversation where both of Jordan's parents, his, her mother and I had to be very, very focused on, on what we're doing to support Jordan's efforts and, you know, help making sure that Jordan um, was successful uh, in everything that she did. And so now there were three parents involved and that added a whole nother layer of, <laughs> of relationships, you know, issues that, that come up. And, and again, it's not anything new. It's just that, it's just that the, the, the special needs component just put like a microscope on those issues. Right. And so, um, I'm not a perfect person and, you know, I'm probably, 
you know, I probably can, I think all of us, right. We can list the, uh, the long list of negative things that we say about ourselves. And it's probably mm -hmm. a shorter list of the positive things we say about ourselves. Cause we have such a, an odd, you know, self-perception, but, um, uh, you know, I have, I will say this, every, every experience has definitely been a learning experience for me as an individual, as a man, as a husband, as a, as a boyfriend, as a father, as a son, as a brother. Um, and you know, I'm learning along the way and I don't think I'm ever going to stop learning until the day that I take my, my last breath. So that's my situation. We'll get into more detail of that later, but Sean, your situation is, is completely different and has a, a whole other set of, of circumstances that have, you know, I'm, I'm sure that have put a microscope on, on your relationship with your wife, Laura. Oh Talk yeah, about most that definitely, most definitely. And so the way it started is, you know, um, as a matter of fact, um, this week, uh, technically tomorrow is our 16th wedding anniversary. Um, so, um, I am so beyond thankful for that. So happy I want to say and really that's awesome anniversary, uh, to my lovely wife. And so and happy mother's day this yeah, right? we're celebrating is, we're mother's day month, right? The month of May, right. we're celebrating mother's day month. So absolutely. Fantastic. And, and for us, we, we are the, the epitome of blended. So in the first week of May, we have, um, uh, we have my mom's birthday, which was, um, yesterday. We have the oldest of the boys, uh, birthday, which is this week. We have Elijah's birthday, which is this week. And then we have our anniversary as well. So much so that Laura's often said, you know what? We need to renew our vows and move our anniversary to, our, uh, <laughs> to September, which is uh, our birthdays. Cause we share the same birthday month. Oh um, but here's what we knew we were getting into. Um, when we first started dating to begin with, we really took our time before I met her daughters from her original, um, um, from her previous marriage. Just because, you know, and it's funny how things work out. When my parents split up, it had um, a profound effect on me. And from what I understood later on is that when parents, when children grow up seeing parents at odds, so to speak, um, when they part, supposedly it's less traumatic. If Because I guess, and I'm thinking, I guess it's because you can see it coming. If you don't see parents at odds fighting or anything like that and then the, the split comes it's a little more like having the rug um pulled from underneath your feet at least i know that that was the that's the way it was with me and that's a whole another story as to how that that went but when my mom in particular remarried you know um my stepdad could have been a guy on a shine you know on a white horse in a suit of shining or armor and um that wouldn't have worked at all. You know, I just, um, I wouldn't have, um, there's no way that I would have been able to um, accept it. Sorry. It's, it's your wife calling. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, answer the phone. Yeah. There's no way that, there's no way that I would have accepted him. Um, I just wouldn't have, but. I How old were you at the time? Uh, well, they dated for a while before they actually get married, got married. But when he came into our, you know, our lives, I was, uh, I was 17. Oh, okay. You know, so I wasn't done dealing with the divorce and I didn't know that I wasn't done dealing with it. So it's, you know, and at that age, I just, I really didn't have a whole lot of consciousness to be able to step outside of myself and see kind of what was taking place. But the benefit that I did have is that, you know, he and I didn't necessarily get along that much, you know, at first, but I didn't question his intention, anything like that. And I never witnessed 
him speaking ill of my dad. I never witnessed my mom speaking ill of my dad. So um, there's been a great coexistence. And by the time my wife and I met, I knew that I had the benefit of not seeing a bunch of guys come and go or anything like that. I, I had hmm. some, re, what was like reintroduction to stability because the family that I inherited as a result of um, my stepdad's family were people that really might as well have, you know, we might as well share, share blood. I, I was just that blessed. So I went from one stable situation that became unstable to another stable situation, even though it took time to, um, to realize that that's what I had before me. And so I'm saying all that to say that I knew that there was something to be said for, you know, even though I didn't have any plan to go anywhere, we should know that we were pretty solid and going to last um, before meeting them. Cause I didn't want to meet um, my wife's daughters, get to know them and then not have their relationship work out. And, you know, I'm kind of patting myself on the back as I say that, or patting both of us on the back because, you know, I felt pretty sure I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm like neck deep in love. This is, this is it. But at the same time, still wanted to make sure. So we did that. And then as we met, you know, as I met them, there was one dynamic that took place, which is, you know, their relationship with, you know, with, uh, with their dad and his acceptance and that kind of thing. And that was not necessarily the smoothest, but, you know, then I knew that, you know, I, I wanted to spend the rest of my life uh, with Laura. And when we got um, uh, married, I had vows that I wrote to her, but I had vows that I wrote to the girls as as well. So I presented. How old were the girls at the time? Um, when we got married, they were. When I met them. They were six and eight. So when we got married, they were. I think it was four years after that. About that. So okay. um, right around Let's there. Give people an understanding of yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where things were. And so I wrote vows to the three of them. Obviously, each of a different nature, and then gave a necklace to each of them in addition to the ring to Laura, because, you know, I knew what that meant and everything. And we, it was the epitome of a plan. We knew we wanted kids, you know, um, of our, 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 of our own biologically together. And so Elijah was born, we went through, um, um, uh, what was the term I'm looking for? Uh, genetic testing and all that kind of stuff, because, um, neither one of us was, you know, in our, in our twenties even though I'm, you know, older than Laura by about six years. So anyway, we did that. Elijah got, you know, was born and everything. And it was, you know, seemed fairly normal. Um, but there were things that she was noticing that he wasn't necessarily doing in terms of eye contact and that sort of thing. And um, I don't think we sat up and said, okay, here's where we're going to. You're good at this. You do that. I'm good at this. I'm going to take care of that. You know, we didn't do that. We just kind of fell right into our, our roles and hers, um, which is why she's, you know, just so, I don't know, immeasurable in, in, in value and in my love for her is that she, she's a, a researcher. She's going to do detective work and figure out what it takes to make something work, put it all together. And that's exactly what she did. Um, and so we went to the doctor, you know, got into the early intervention and everything. And, I don't think I really knew how we were affected by any of that as far as our relationship goes um, until maybe just a little further on. So for me, I, and this is my own personal transparency here. I was, I'm I'm a person who um, in school, especially uh, before high school was always physically in class, but mentally not there. 
So grades and I have never been good friends. And I'd be like this puzzle to people because they'd have a conversation with me and think that I was fairly bright, but it wouldn't necessarily reflect in grades. And so that continued to affect my confidence in certain areas, you know, going forth. And I think that my, that, that, that affected how, you know, out in front I might be, um, in terms of, you know, solutions and things like that. So what was taking place is like, she'd come up with, um, an idea and plan, bring it to me. We kind of go through it together and we would act on it pretty much, you know, together. But as we're doing that and finding our way, the other thing that happened is that we ended up taking in uh, my sister-in-law's. Yeah. So I, before you go there, just wanted just to, again, let's, let's just sort of set so people understand. So how old mm -hmm. were you when you had Elijah? How old were you? I was, oh my gosh. So what was I? 42. Okay. So you're in your forties and Laura's yeah. in her late in late thirties. And by the time you had Elijah, how old were the girls now? They were at that point. Um, gosh, like it was just before high school. Um, so what is that? Like 14, 15, 14, 15, somewhere around there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And so Laura had a benefit, had, had the benefit as, as you were dealing with Elijah's diagnosis that Lord had two children already. And, you know, as a mom, first of all, moms just have this sort of keen sense anyways, but. And had know, girls for, who do, who mature faster than boys too. And had girls, right. So much. Right. So, but she had children. So, mm -hmm. you know, she knows what signs to look for. Right. Uh, right. Jordan was, was our first child and we didn't know. We didn't know what signs to look for. We didn't know what what we were dealing with, you know, we had right. no idea because we had nothing to compare it to. So at least you had, you had, you had that. And now the girls, so now Elijah's born, he's, he's had his diagnosis. The girls are almost high school and, and you're now in your, in your early forties, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you, and then you, and then you take on something else. <laughs> yes. That. And it's, and it's yeah. funny because, uh, because of the story, which is not mine to tell, <laughs> Um, and the circumstances, it wasn't too surprising that we might end up and, taking them and, on one day. Right. And I think we're just really sort of painting the picture of what, again, as a, as a spouse mm -hmm. and, you know, in, in the relation, the marriage relationship, right. The things that we sort of surround ourselves with just for people to get a picture of what you're going to describe right now is again, another layer of stuff that's added to the house environment. All right. So, right. So right. for, with the circumstances, uh, not that the circumstances aren't important, but not for this conversation. Right. But what you right. did was, is the important thing I, I think. Right. Yes. And so yeah. we, we, because of the circumstances, we weren't surprised that, you know, that, that happened, but we weren't prepared for it to happen when it did as quickly as it did. Um, as a matter of fact, we were on what was like a family honeymoon, if you will. Uh, we went down to the Virgin islands to see family that were not, that didn't, you know, especially for those that had not come out to California for the wedding, um, when we knew that this was going to take place. So it, it did. And so we took them in, we became, so wait, 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 but you haven't said yeah. what it is. You yeah. Didn't say what well, it is. You, what no, is I did, I, I did earlier. I said that I said, we, we, oh. ended up, we ended up, we ended up taking in my sister-in-law's four kids. Yes. Okay, good. So I just wanted two, to put a little underline on that. Right? Yeah. Two so, boys and, and two girls and Laura's so, sister's children. Right. And so we begin going through the process of, what does it take to become uh, a legal guardian? What is the benefit of being a legal guardian versus 
um, an adoptive parent and what are the pros and cons of each? And there's a, there's a lot to take in and understand. And so that's exactly what we did. And I say we with a little, you know, tinge of discomfort only because when it comes to the legwork and what it takes to, to, to find out what the benefit is between the two dealing with social workers and all that kind of stuff, that was what she did. And we then came together because I, as a result of the choice to build a financial services um, business as an independent contractor, had more freedom in terms of my schedule than she did. So I would take Elijah to um, to his therapy. I was the only dad in a mommy and me class. And when I say his therapy, we're talking about um, five days a week, uh, Monday through Friday, and then on a Saturday as well. And, and in some cases twice a day. And so we were, you know, dealing with, you know, all of those things. And, and then when we took the kids in the thing that was at at first a challenge also became a gift because I don't remember where he was vocally, verbally, and you know, that kind of thing. But one of the first things he was verbally able to really express was that he didn't want to share his mom. And so, you know, he was just like, like he would say no. And, you know, my mommy and, you know, that kind of thing. And there were, I think he'd be verbal anyway, but he wouldn't be as verbal as he is had that not um, come about. So now fast forward, it has been, huh, I think about 11 years. We have uh, completed the adoption process about um, two years ago. And the way that, you know, we've been tested is, it's just different from what most people would get, but I have a clear, clear understanding as to, uh, as a result of any fray or crack in the armor of our union, I have an understanding as to how other situations and other unions don't survive based on the foundation. And the one thing you mentioned in the very beginning, we were talking about, you know, how you communicate. All of that has everything to do with how you respond to a challenge individually, how you respond to a challenge as a unit. Um, And if the differences are too great and you can't come together for the good while acknowledging what those differences are and allowing the differences to then become strengths, even, you know, um, then it's really, it's really difficult. And, you know, I'm just going to sound like the guy who just loves, 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 loves his wife. And and it's because that's who I am, because I think, I think it takes something to, deal with somebody finding themselves as well, you know, as well. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I I can be rough on myself, but I'm always looking to um, get better. And of, of late, especially my thought is what's the best way for me to uh, honor her and make things easier for her, you know? And um, I, I think that's one of the things that it, that it takes from a male perspective too, especially if a woman takes on, the role that one stereotypically does in terms of being nurturing and stepping out and is, is selfless for the sake of everybody else. And that's exactly who she is in more ways than nine. Well, I, it's interesting because I think that, you know, when it comes to the subject of marriage, everybody enters, enters marriage, you know, from a different perspective. And I, I, I think that if you get married young, so my first marriage, I think I was, I guess I was 30. No, I was not 29. I was 29, which is still young, by the way. Mm-hmm. And our yeah. parents' age, that was old, right? But for right. our age, our generation, 29 is still fairly young. Um, and I think that the person that you marry and, you know, the person that you are when you get married um, is not often the 
the same person, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. I mean, hopefully we're on a path of evolution, both individually and, um, and collectively. Um, and I think that for me, you know, for me, I've, I was, I, I think I, I'm, I was a younger, I was a younger 29 anyways, there were certain things that I did in my, you know, in my, in my youth and growing up that had me, I, I, I ran my dad's grocery store at 16 years old. So I, you know, I, I did, I had a ton of responsibility young. So there's certain elements of my life that I was, you know, that I, I was, I was much more adult than my age, but at the same time, there were certain things from an emotional perspective. I was very sheltered. I mean, not that sheltered, but really I, like I was, my, my family really kind of managed my entire life, you know, my social life and my, you know, our vacations were all together. And so we had a very tight unit. Now, by the way, my mom and dad were both married twice as well. So my mother and Altunian, my stepfather is, that's the, that's the result of their second marriages to one another. And my, my father Altunian wanted to make sure that our family unit was the tight unit. In fact, I never even saw my biological father until I was about to get married um, uh, by design, not my design, but by the design of my parents, right? So, mm -hmm. so what that did is it is it sort of established an interesting um, maturing awakening for me. And I'm just I'll get into this. I want to go back to your story with Laura because I mean your story with Laura is so it's so beautiful. First of all, I joke with you that I don't really believe that she exists because she's <laughs> she's perfect in every description that you have of her. Not only that, but we never get a chance to see her. I'm hoping that we're gonna actually get her on this podcast one of these days. I've only been begging for a year, but that's okay. Um, I believe that she exists. But let me just say this. When my mom and, and my biological father got divorced, I was young. I was two. My older brother was four. We were very, very young. I didn't really know my biological father. There was an agreement that he would not be part of our lives growing up. And I was, you know, raised Altunian. I'm, I'm, I'm as Jewish looking as, you know, the note Armenians look as, as Jewish as I do. But anyways, um, so so Altunian raised me. I worked in his worked in his store. I was part of the conversation. You know, uh, his family was my family. The Armenian family was my family. Um, didn't really know my biological father. And then when I saw just before I I asked my wife to marry me, um, I saw a picture of my mom and dad on their wedding day, and it was the first time I'd ever seen a picture of him. I was twenty. It was like 27, oh, wow. 28 at the time. Yeah, I'd never seen him. Never seen a picture. You, of let, him. Me, let me ask you this, because most people. Most most people, male or female, would have a longing and questions and that kind of thing. And you were never – sounds like you weren't told a story. You weren't told yeah. something that was not true. You knew he was around, but you weren't able to see him. Did you have like a deep yearning to get yeah, well? Who was well, he and that kind of thing? It's a good. It's a good question. When I was at school, when I was at school at UCLA, my older brother went and found him, and uh, he had a deep yearning. He was older. He was a little bit more aware during the divorce. So. Had a deep yearning, wanted to find him, found him, came to me and asked me if I wanted to, to engage. At the time I was in school, I had a bunch of stuff that was kind of going on. I really didn't, I, I, thought, I thought initially like a punk teenager, I'm like, ah, screw you. you know, he didn't want to see me in my life up to now. Why would I want to see him? That was kind of my defiance, right? That was my, my next defiant. question too, though, because yeah. I was thinking, even though there's an agreement, he still has a choice. How bad would it be if he said, you know what, skip that. I'm going to step forth and I want to see my son, you know, but yeah. you, you never know. I've never been in that and situation. It, yeah. And that didn't happen. Right. That right. 
from my understanding. So here's the crazy thing, right? So this is what, so this is what sort of set the stage for for my for my first marriage. So I I, I know I'm going to I'm going to you know I'm going to ask Risa to to marry me, and I find this picture of my mother and father on their wedding day. He is the same age as I am as I'm looking at the picture, and and Sean, it was as if I was looking in a mirror. I, I, wow. he looked, we looked exactly alike. And I was like, and then, and my cousin who showed me the picture is like, you've never seen a picture of your father before. I'm like, no, I've, I never have. And I, then it became a yearning for me. Then it became something I had to see. I had to figure out, I had to find out. I live in Southern California in the Los Angeles area. As it turns out, he lived in Ventura. Um, I asked my brother about him. It turns out that my brother had a six month relationship with my father and his family I thought it was a weekend and he, you know, my, my folks were upset that he went to go find him and that my brother went to find my biological father and they didn't talk to him for six months. And so uh, I thought, well, man, if I go do that, they're going to do the same thing to me. I don't think I'm ready. But the more that I thought about it, the more I thought, why, like, why is this, why was this kept for me? And I'd be, why would my brother have a six month relationship and not tell me why, as it turns out, my biological cousin worked in my work for my mom's company. I had a crush on her. We're a week apart in, in age. I had this major crush on this gal who turns out to be my biological cousin. And so I was like, man, a lot of effort went into keeping this secret from me. Mm -hmm. Why? And that has right? to impact the manner in which you parent, period, but then the manner in which you respond to a special needs diagnosis for your child too. A hundred percent. Well, well, this is going to be the amazing thing when I tell you this, is that he remarried. He had two children. His youngest, his daughter, his youngest child has the same issues that my daughter Jordan has. They have the same wow. learning disabilities. They have the same, some of the same challenges. Also, by the way, successful. She got married. She's had two children of her own. She has a job. She lives on the East Coast. She's amazing, Marnie. She's absolutely amazing, but struggled the same way that Jordan did. So now, I, as I found this out right now, I realize that there's a genetic component, possibly connection. Right. Here. And I realized how much trouble my, my folks went to, to separate. And I, I felt very betrayed and I felt very, I, I felt that there were agreements that were made and decisions that were made for me as a child, decisions were made by these adults that I didn't understand. I couldn't understand. And if I was going to enter into marriage, like I really wanted to understand that. Right. So I don't mean to make this a long story, but I'll, so I'll shorten no, no, it up. No. So I had, a, I, I found, I did find him on my own. We looked exactly alike. He got to tell me his side of the story. I got to meet his family and I didn't tell my folks for a couple of years because I didn't want them to take it out on me. I wanted it to be an experience that I could appreciate. And Risa, my, my first wife went with me and we together were, you know, having, we were kind of living in two relationships, right. And not telling my, my mother and, and, and Altunia and my stepfather that I was having because I, I didn't want to make it about them. This wasn't about them. It was about, it was about me. Um, and, and Risa and I were very aligned in that, but it also gave Risa an opportunity to point out all of the frailties <laughs> of my parents, right? All the limitations and all the issues that come up. And I got to really sort of explore what a marriage, you know, and a, and a remarriage looked like and how to do it the right way and how to do it. what I thought was, you know, the wrong way. Um, I eventually did tell my folks, they did do exactly what I thought they would do. They didn't talk to me for six months. Um, wow. they couldn't understand it. We've never, our relationship has never, ever been the same since that, really? since that time. Yeah. That was now 20, uh, 20 years ago. 
20 years ago. Um, and so never had the same relationship with them because they, they felt, they felt betrayed that I went to go find my biological father. I felt my life was enhanced. Right. So now fast forward, Reese and I get married, have a, have a child. My mother says, by the way, I don't think Jordan is talking. I don't think she's babbling properly and, you know, honoring my mom. And we got our diagnosis as well. Jordan, you know, struggled with, uh, suffered with apraxia and, and other learning disabilities. And that's, so now I've got sort of an estranged relationship with my parents. I, I have sort of a relationship with my biological family, but it's not really my family, right? Because I haven't known them for 29 years. Now I've got a child that has a special needs issue. And just after Jordan's diagnosis, my father-in-law um, had, uh, was, was diagnosed with, um, um, what's the uh, debilitating uh, disease? Uh, Lou Gehrig's. That, Lou Gehrig's disease, thank you. Yeah. I was just thinking, the yeah. baseball player, Lou Gehrig, of course, the baseball yeah. player. Yeah. And, and so then he deteriorated um, over the time that we were trying to figure out Jordan's diagnosis and how to deal with that Jordan and, and, and the, and the, so the pressure of the family dynamic and my father-in-law's illness, um, it kind of rocked our foundation a bit. My, my ex-wife was an attorney, very used to being in adversarial situations, you know, and because mm -hmm. as attorneys tend to be that way. And, and um, it was great when it was adversarial <laughs> for other people as we were aligned together. But then when it kind of turned towards me, it wasn't so much fun. And and it was a struggle. And we had, you know, we had Gabby. We had another child. And and Gabby's, you know, amazing and, and beautiful, incredible. But it was it was tough because we entered this again as young adults whose lives were in a, you know, in in kind of a sort of a new spinning pattern pattern. And I went in and got spent a lot of time in personal development. And I got on a path that helped me start to see how I can be a better person. And I started to evolve. And I wanted Risa to come along with me. And she did for a period of time. And then she was like, I don't like this change. Like, I'm not that person. I'm this person. I'm who I am. I'm not going to change. This is the way I am. And then I thought, is this how I want to live the rest of my life? Right. That's the big and stake if, right there. Yeah. That's the big that was it. And it, and it's still like we had a, we were, we went counseling. We had very, very specific conversations about what do we want to have in our lives going forward. And I wanted, you know, ways, tools, ways to come together and be on the same page. And at the time she had just dug in and was like, this is it. Father passed away. Her mother passed away very shortly thereafter. Her brother has passed away at a young age. So oh, there's wow. sadness in the relationships in her family. And it, I, I just, it wasn't a, a place that I felt I could be empowered and be evolved and get to the next level. And so I had some, I had a young child with special needs. I had a young, you know, one-year-old as well. Like to leave that situation was a difficult, such a difficult decision to make. And I, sought out counsel from a lot of folks. And to your point, the thing that you made that you said early, right? Sometimes at 17 years old, you're like, oh man, the family's been fighting, man. We've been waiting for you guys to split up. Thank God you're finally going to split up and live your own lives, right? Or do you do it when they're young and they don't really know anything different than living in, in two houses? And ultimately that was the decision that, you know, that I made. I made the decision to, to leave, but do the exact opposite of what my parents did and be incredibly involved very, very much a co-parent for Jordan and Jordan and Gabby and their needs. And, and Reese and I have settled into a co-parenting 
relationship for the last, you know, for the last 20 years. And, um, you know, it's been, it, it, it's not been easy. And I'm, I'm sure it's contributed to Jordan's, some of Jordan's challenges and struggles as a, as a young, now married adult as well, in addition mm-hmm. to the special needs issues that she has. But our marriage could not survive, and it was not the special needs issue itself. It was just part of the conversation Growth. around adversity yeah. in your life, yeah, and not being and realizing that we were not in the same space to want to grow, evolve individually and or separately. I wanted to evolve, and I was alone in that decision. And by the way, here's the thing: I'll tell you, she's incredibly evolved now. She's you know, she's retired. She lives a great life. She is, you know, she has the life that she's always wanted and, you know, God bless her. And I love her for who she is for my daughters. Um, but it wasn't where I wanted to, where I wanted to spend the rest of, of my life. And again, I didn't mean to take over the conversation. I'll just, no, I'll finish no. by saying when I, when I got married for the second time, I was totally in love with, um, with, with Laura and acknowledge the challenges that, and we have a child together, uh, Blake, who's now almost 14. Um, and the challenges that she had jumping into that dynamic, still a bizarre relationship with my parents and my family still dealing with, you know, with, with Jordan and special needs issues and the challenges that come with teenagers trying to, you know, survive in a normal school setting. And then right. on top of that, having an ex, spouse in the mix who was going to be part of the conversation because we're co-parenting our girls together. Um, that added a whole other set of strains and stresses to my, to my second, to my second marriage. And so, you know, that didn't survive and that was not my choice, but that, that didn't survive for a whole bunch of reasons. And, and again, as we talked about this special needs, children are not the cause of divorce. Although, and we said we weren't really going to talk about statistics, but I, I think the number is it's over 80% of divorces um, occur in families where their children have special needs issues. And I say it's not the special needs issue that causes the divorce. I think it's the challenges that come with focused parenting and the decisions that you have to make, you know, as you parent a special needs child that bring up the other things. And if you don't have alignment, it's an amazing challenge. The thing I love about your stories about you and Laura and how you deal with Elijah. First of all, I want you to talk about this. You guys have very specific roles that you that you play in all of this. But you guys, I mean, again, I'm only taking a one sided. I don't even know if she's even (laughs) even around or live or she's really a real person. But so I'm just going to say from what I've heard from you. Yeah, you guys have tremendous alignment, even when there's stuff that you don't agree about. You guys just have tremendous alignment in your foundation. And I think that that's such a critical thing to have um, as you as you evolve, because I consider you to be a, a, an incredibly evolved man. And, um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, what you bring to the table is is, you know, is, is so amazing. And so the fact that you guys have alignment on so many issues is really amazing. Yeah. OK. Mm-hmm. Robert says she exists. So if Robert <laughs> says she exists, I'm going to go with that because Robert is not somebody who's going to mess around. here. So. <laughs> Um, but, uh, one of these days we get to see her, but I'll stop talking. So you can talk about Laura and your relationship. It's never, uh, easy. And I would be a person who, let me back up a bit. When we decided what the topic was going to be today, I thought about people generally speaking. Uh, and I thought about Jordan in particular. I said, I don't want anybody to see this and think, oh, so I am the reason why they split up. And so 
to your to the point of what you were saying earlier is that a diagnosis of special needs is only in my opinion i've always said you know if you, if your foundation is not strong it's going to be really it's not going to survive the test of a special needs diagnosis depending upon the severity of the diagnosis and how dependent the child is um upon the support of parents to become independent right and so based on that the diagnosis you know, how one responds to it is simply an accelerant of that which is already there which is that it gets Agreed. a little rocky or it's going to fall apart altogether one of the two it is not um the fault of anybody um that has a diagnosis um and for the most part you know when we when we get married you don't the younger you are, the less you know who you're really marrying because you don't really know who the heck you are. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and when you do that, you find out. So the one thing is when you decide to ask someone to marry you, make sure that it's somebody that you feel good about being with while you find out who the heck you really truly are, because that's something you probably spend your, your, your whole life finding out. Um, other than that, you wake up one day and it's just like, wait a minute, I don't know who I'm with. So you know, the other thing is that, you know, I would be someone who seeks personal development anyway. Um, I was long before I got into financial services. You know, our business is one of people and developing people and uh, uplifting them. And financial services just happens to be the vehicle by which that's done. So as a result, that has made me focus even more so on personal development. And I was that way before. But Lord takes that to uh, another level or causes me to because not just because I want to be the, the the best person, the best husband and the best father I can be, but I become concerned about my growth and our growth because there's growth, which is in fact my own. It's mine to um, um, initiate. It's mine to execute and it's mine to make happen so I can better the, the lives of those around me, starting with myself. But there is a certain amount of growth that has to take place together because if you don't grow together, you will grow apart. Agreed. hundred yeah. percent. You know, so that's 100%. the one thing that we, you know, and there were times where I felt like maybe scared about that or something. And just like, I don't want to like, I, I don't want that to happen. So we have conversations about those things um, a lot. And that in itself is work in progress too. And, you know, uh, she'll tell you, I, I, I naturally I'm a, um, a bit of a romantic, uh, not as much as I used to be. And so, so much so I would think that, you know, if I wrote a nice letter or a poem or something like that, I would be like, I have to do that as, as the muse inspires me. I have to do that as it comes to me. And I heard that marriage was work. I'm like, yeah, you know, you know, if you put too much work into it, then it's, it's forced what you say, what you do. And the question that I, you know, you always hear me ask guests, which is tell me a belief that you held dear that you know, now no longer do. Well, for me, the belief that I held dear was that it's got to be spontaneous, the flow, whether it's your intimate moments, it's your the poetry you write, the, the flowers you send or whatever. You know, there's some truth to that, but the bottom line is you better work because if you don't decide that, hey, here's the time that I'm going to do such and such, then before you know it, such and such never gets done. And for me, that's a, you know, that's a continuous work in progress because it's very, very easy. It's actually easier, I think, to take someone for granted especially if they are uh, reliable, lovable, um, nurturing, and put others first. It's easy to take somebody like that for granted with it being no intention of yours whatsoever. And I'd be lying if I said that that doesn't take place 
at times. And so I, I try to watch it and just, well, how, how can I take burden off of, uh, off of her shoulders? And um, I'm never satisfied with my attempt to do that. And I don't know if I ever will be. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, I love that you acknowledge it. I, I think that for, for men and here's my, my two cents. I, I think that we have to take in the, this is going to sound crazy, the gestalt of our partners, like the whole picture and acknowledge those things that make them tick and the things that make them successful and the things that give them challenge. Um, you know, because we are a product of the, you know, the environment that we grew up in and we've made, each one of us has made a certain decision about ourselves unconsciously. You know, a, a lot of people live with that, you know, I'm not good enough statement, right? That's just one of those that's like common to human nature to some degree, right? When you're, mm -hmm. you're just like, I'm not good enough for whatever reason, right? Or, or whatever it is, or I'm shy, I'm to this, I'm not enough that, I'm whatever, right? We make some decision at three and four years old when we can't even really articulate it, but we make that decision unconsciously and then we live our lives through that filter. And when we go into a relationship, if that, if the, if our partner's not servicing the things that, that over help us overcome those, that's a challenge, you know? And so, you know, uh, my, you know, I, again, both of my, both of my ex, ex wives came with a bunch of baggage. In some cases, I thought that I was servicing, you know, them properly and in a way that was supportive of them. And there's some things which I'm sure, and this is not going to be a very common thing too. I reminded each of them of their fathers. Um, right. And, and had to try to undo the, that internal discussion that they have about, you know, their relationship with their, with their fathers. And, and I think a lot of us that enter relationships, you know, have to overcome, we have to overcome those, those, those challenges. Listen, for me, it, now that I've kind of given you a little bit of background, like clearly my, you know, my biological father left when I was two years old and then I never saw him for 26, 27 years. I don't care what anybody says. I and I'm evolved. I made that so much about me. My older brother made it so much about him. His to. memory, right? You have to, especially because he doesn't come back, doesn't check in, doesn't inquire, doesn't really like. I, I I will tell you that once I started getting into the inquiry stage, like, oh, I wonder where. I will tell you there are times I thought, if I was at a Dodger game, what if he was in the next section, right? driving in traffic on the freeway, knowing that he lived in, you know, the next County up. Right. Mm -hmm. How many times was I on the same freeway? Were we going the same direction? I, once I saw a picture of him, I once saw a, a, a guy at, at a, at a local neighborhood, you know, a gathering. And the guy looked like the picture and the thing. And I had literally walked up to him and asked him if he was my father, <laughs> because like I was seeing the, the face everywhere. Right. And so, and so there's definitely a, not wanted fear of abandonment a lot of those things that come up that we make up for ourselves and listen guys i was a psych major at school so that's not by accident either i you know i say it was my favorite subject but i'm sure that a lot of it had to do with me wanting to solve some of these issues that i didn't even know i had sure. um and so when it came time to you know, feel abandoned, you know, emotionally or alone or those moments um, that have continued to, to, to plague me, you know, my adult, my adult life, that's where it comes from. And so I think if our partners acknowledge that, and we as, uh, as men acknowledge that our, our spouses and our partners 
have their own challenges and, and we can honor that space and provide safety and support or whatever's needed in that we're going to have a better chance of being aligned and, and, and moving things forward. It doesn't matter what the challenges are. And I think your point is so, so important, Sean, a special needs diagnosis isn't the thing that drives people apart. The fact that it, it just happens to add a layer of, you know, an extra level of, you know, a, a commitment, decision-making, another layer of what we tell ourselves, you know, challenge, all those other things that, 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 that cause a problem, which would cause a problem in a relationship, even without a special needs child. It just, it just puts a microscope on, you know, on the issues. So I, I think your point is right. Like those of us who are, and by the way, we know a lot of family, we know a lot of uh, adults of, and, and parents of special needs children who have divorced and, and they take on the extra burden of now being a divorced single parent of a child right. with special needs and the whole, you know, the whole stigma around that. And so hopefully, you know, there are support groups. We've, we've highlighted a few of them here on, in other places where folks can get the support to know that they're not alone, to know that there are people that have gone through that same situation. And, you know, we just in the, engage in the conversation. It just helps to further the, the cause along, man, I dominated the conversation today. I'm so sorry. This was your topic and I've sort of taken. No, I don't, I don't even know if I felt like you, like, like you, like you dominated it. No, I feel like we're just, we're just having a chat. Um, But to our viewers too, again, you know, neither one of us is an expert on this. We're just, what we're, what we're doing quite frankly is revealing ourselves here and we're going to have the subject touch upon again in the future with people that, are professionals. So just like if we don't, just like we don't want to have a professional come on and just say, here's what you should expect. Here's what it means statistically. Here's what people do. You know, it also helps, at least we hope to hear some um, perspective from individuals who might cause you to say, oh, somebody else is in that situation. Somebody else, um, you know, feels as I do. And it's funny when you talk about the, um, you reiterated that, which I've always said, which is that I think more people, obviously I've always thought more people than we know have the whole, am I good enough question? But the truth of the matter is, I think everybody, I think everybody actually has that. The only thing that differs is how much and to what extent a person does. And it doesn't, and it, it and it's not determined by where they are in life because some people as a result of it find themselves very driven and become very uh, successful from a, a purpose and material standpoint, but the, the the gap is still not necessarily filled or the void. And then and then when the special needs component comes into play, that takes place as well, which is why again, as I said earlier, the foundation needs to be strong. Everybody has some level of it because I think the only way to not have that in life is to have every single person that you ever encountered uplift you, and nobody has that, you know. Yeah. So um, and, and it might not be. Um, there may be some cases where it's not even necessarily damaging, but everybody has a moment of some, you know, um, at some point where in some way, shape or form, they question whether or not they're good enough, maybe for that given moment. And at least subconsciously, cause I don't, you know, not everybody has that thought consciously. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that if we are constantly, if we're, if we're conscious of it and we're consciously seeking evolution, and we're seeking to be inspired and, you know, to, to be motivated and to be heard, seen, gotten, you know, and, and that we, we try to, we try to find a, you know, higher purpose for ourselves. I think that, uh, 
that it, it, it involves us being, you know, exposed and vulnerable first. And then, you know, we kind of have to be broken apart to be kind of put back together in a new, you know, in a new form, a new format. I, uh, I love some of the comments that, that people are making. I'm going to share this one here. Robert talked about, we talk about this a lot and I'm just going to say this out loud for folks who are, who are listening. You know, if we both understand that, you know, men and women have different makeups, men are analytical, women are emotional. I mean, again, stereotypically, but yes, that's more or less, it's a whole conversation of, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Right. And it does require a conversation between, between both, right. Because we both come to our relationships with our own experience and our own expertise and our own, you know, our, our own baggage and our own circumstances. And I think, again, one of the things that it, it, agreement and alignment is so critical, finding agreement and alignment in your relationship, uh, because you're going to evolve each individually as it, as it stands. And you want your partner to evolve and grow and be, you know, a better version of them. And you hope that they want the same for you. And in doing that, it's possible to, to be aligned and growing in the same direction, but sometimes it does create an alignment where you're, where you're separating, right? You're going different directions and that's okay. If there's open communication, open dialogue about how you encounter these, you know, the, these kinds of challenges and, 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 and some survive and, and, and some don't. And, um, you know, again, I think these conversations that, that you and I have, you're right, this is just just two dads having a conversation and sharing a common experience and sharing common goals. And we just happen to be doing it in front of a bunch of people that we love and hopefully get some value out of the conversation that we begin. And hopefully it starts ongoing conversations. I know that, uh, you know, as the work that we are doing, not only in our financial services business, but in this community and with this you know, with this audience and with the people that we interact with, our, our hope is that we we build a, you know, a, a web, a village of support for folks to be able to have resources and places to go to get help, to not feel alone, and to find a purpose for themselves to take their situation and possibly have an impact to others. So inspired on a daily basis from those those people who who have taken their circumstance and and, and made a difference in other people's lives. So we talk about Susanna all the time, Susanna Peace Lavelle, who, who, who has done that, and Jessica Pate, and so many people on, on our show that are, are supporting other folks. Susan Fink, I could go on, the, the, you know, the Gots, Sam Ebry, uh, <laughs> Brett Lieberman, like all the folks we've had on the show and had this conversation have taken circumstances that they've encountered and turn it into something that has an impact on the rest of the world. And that's at the end of the day, I think what we're all trying to do. So hopefully we can do it within a relationship that supports our growth and our evolution. And also to acknowledge that sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. For our special needs children, it doesn't lessen our love for them. It's, it's still, we want them to be successful no matter what they do and what they choose to do. So yes, Robert, having an honest conversation is, is key, right? Honest conversations, that's a key. So I know we're getting close to our, the end of our, of our, of our time of, you know, was there other things that anything else that you wanted to, to wrap with as we, as we close out anything that we didn't get a chance to communicate? No, not at this particular time. I just want to make sure that I thank everyone again for, you know, for tuning in. Uh, I want to thank our, our audience in the U S Virgin islands. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back home at some point and, um, um, introducing you to people and being able to, you know, to be there. And I just really hope that we're uh, successful in our attempt to add value there and elsewhere. And um, appreciate everyone for um, being loyal and sticking with us as we continue to uh, build this platform and add as much value as we possibly can 
to every uh, person and family that we encounter. And again, the, the intention is just for you to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm not alone. Somebody else gets me. Somebody else gets me. That's the biggest thing about special needs, which is that it, whether it's someone with a diagnosis or someone who's a caregiver or parent, the desire to be heard, understood, or reminded that you're not alone is greater for us than it is for anybody else. And that's what this show is all about. So, you know, feel free to let us know about ideas, people, and or topics that you think would add value to listeners. Uh, we're, we're open to those things and looking for that all the time. We have a couple of things uh, in that regard of our own that we're working on and looking forward to. So uh, again, thanks everyone for tuning in. Yeah, I was going to say, we, the last two weeks we've had guests scheduled and circumstances have come up, but it's given us an opportunity to spend a little time one-on-one, uh, <laughs> well, two-one, but however many people are, are listening yeah, and, uh, on <laughs> and, and giving us a chance to continue the conversation um, thank you all for, for your contributing. And, and, you know, it's funny because Sean's Sean always ends the show as I like to thank the women in my life. And, and, and when he does it and I haven't done that, you know, I always, again, go right back into that whole recording in my own head. So before you say it, I'm just going to say, I, um, I, 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 I so love, um, my, you know, the, the mothers of my children. Um, they are amazing, amazing women. They have added so significantly to my life and to the life of my children. And I am forever grateful to them. And the folks in my in, in my day-to-day life today, as we move forward, who have continued to support me in my own you know journey here, um, I love you dearly, and you know who you are. And I will would never be in a place to have open conversations if it weren't for you. So I'm I'm grateful to you and to my children, and Sean Francis, to you, my friend, my colleague, my partner, and thrive for just being just just going along in this in this journey i don't know where this is all going to going to lead to or where it's going to take us but i'm so enjoying this time with you and everybody who's listening to us on our podcasts and catching us on wstx am radio down in the us virgin islands we love you and thank you again for uh, for spending the spending the time with us you want to say something to end us? empathy and love is on my always thing right i want to say hashtag empathy and love but i'll i'll, I'll stop talking now and let you most definitely i'll say what i usually say which is i want to thank the women in my life which is my mom jan and my wife laura um my daughters as well i couldn't begin to attempt to be who i hope to be nor who i am without them Uh, remember that somebody uh, out there needs to know that they're loved they need to know that they count they need to know that they're seen and they need to know that they're heard and i wanted to touch on one last thing because i consider myself to be i don't know if i'm still great at it but i'm I have ample procrastination skills. And so as a result, I have a lot of days that I end where I feel like, oh, I didn't make the most out of this day. And you want to make sure that you you know, don't leave the planet feeling like you've wasted life. And I'm sharing with Brian a post that I saw the other day where it talked about, you know, you may have wasted many a day, many an hour, and many a life, but you are not a wasted soul especially as you, if you still have breath within your lungs and life within your body. So you're here. Let's increase our ability to be present. And again, wherever you might be watching or hearing us, we love you and thank you so very much. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.